0: This is Michael Center nicholas and I implore you to... Show me your news. This is Michael Center nicholas and I implore you to follow... No, show me. This is Michael Center nicholas and I implore you to show me your news!
1: Show me your news!
0: And now, coming through your speakers and into your ears, it's the gaming podcast that you
1: all know and love. It's... Show me your news!
0: Right, welcome to Show Me Your News, episode 57. We are getting up there in terms of episode numbers. This is a very special episode today. It's been a while since my two guests have been on the podcast. In fact, it was episode 25 way back when when Samurai Panda decided to host a Panda cast, and it ended up being several hours long. It had discussion with a Competitive Smash and all. But I uh, welcome back M3D and Scab to the show. M3D, uh, we'll go for you first. Um, For those that don't know, introduce yourself. Hey
2: everyone, this is uh, Jason Rice. Some of you know me as M3D from Smashboards or from gaming tournaments. Um, I was formerly a major tournament host for national events like Major League Gaming, and I've since gone on. I'm a video game producer and designer now, Um, but uh, I've been working on a little something special for everyone in the Smash community, so we're excited to talk about that today.
0: Absolutely. It'll be very exciting to talk about that for those that have heard a little bit about it. Also on the team for that that major event is Scav. Welcome, Scav.
1: Hello, Podcasting Land. I've missed you guys so much. Uh, we have what missed it, you what too. Have I been doing. Oh, thank you. Uh, used to host video game tournaments just like Jason, and I guess the biggest feather in my cap was most three from back in the day, and now I've been doing advertising and marketing and Getting back into the community and grassroots gaming scene.
0: All right, it's definitely been a while since uh, we've been you've been on Show Me News, and I couldn't think of you know any two better people to talk about this uh, these events with. So uh, before we start, though, I have to do my own little plugging of a Show Me Your News contest that we have going on. Um, Show Me Your News kind of needs YouTube content, and it's been a while since we've had a fan contest. We did a like a top ten. Uh, you know, moments uh, for episode 30 and a fan art contest for episode, uh, oh, episode 30, and then episode 40. We did a fan art contest. Basically, we're doing a contest where you get to make a YouTube video that shows your fandom any way that you want to. It's the Show Me Your News YouTube resurgiton contest. That's right, Resurgathon is totally a word I made up. But still, um, the winner of this contest would get to be a guest in episode 60 of Show Me Your News. For more information, you can check out. The Show Me Your News forums at showmeyournews.com forum. So go check it out if you want to be a future guest on the show. So let's start off today by uh, asking our guests and myself, what are you playing recently? I mean, I know you guys are two very busy guys, you know, with work and all that and even work on this, uh, this big tournament, but have you guys found time to play any video games recently?
1: Uh, Scav, you want to go first? Sure, I beat Borderlands the other night. Borderlands! I haven't done any of the downloadable contents or anything, but that's a game I've been playing a lot because I'm a huge sucker for the giant red pleasure button that Diablo-style gameplay gives you with, hey, I just got a new gun that is arbitrarily better than the last arbitrary gun that I got, and then I play for another three hours.
0: Mm -hmm. We have the Buzzsaw, who's a major fan of Borderlands. Um, What are your thoughts on the game?
1: I play it. I've been doing it mostly single player just because it's been so much more difficult in recent days to get a bunch of people together and say, let's go shoot people for a couple hours. But I I enjoy the single player gameplay a lot. I'm playing a soldier. I don't know how much you know about it, Jason, but uh, had it spec for soloing, so to speak, rather than its hilarious healing abilities. I will say I was surprised by the ending, but... I'm assuming that we should not be going into that.
0: Yeah, that might just be spoilers. Now, Borderlands... yeah, no spoilers. Yeah. Don't spoil.
2: As soon as I get my Xbox three sixty fixed, I might have to check this out, so don't don't ruin anything for me.
0: Yours is broken. How did it break?
2: The Red Ringed. I've got a I've got a, a launch unit though, and it lasted like four years before okay. Red Ringed. So it, it it did me pretty good. So now I gotta go and spend like eighty bucks and get
1: it fixed before I can play any more games on it, but <laughs> Huh. I've I've never heard of that happening to an Xbox.
0: Never yeah. ever. <laughs> um, Jason, what have you been playing?
2: Uh, let's see. Lots of peekaboo, and peek-a-boo. let's bang
1: this thing into that thing, and say dad 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 dad.
0: Ah, yes. That's
1: right. I had. It turns out that... Oh, I was gonna say Jason has a new member in his party since last we spoke.
0: Yeah. He has access to a new game. It's based off the whole uh, Milo for Project Natal, and it involves. A little girl.
1: <laughs> yeah, my,
2: my daughter was born in August this year, and she's awesome, and I love being a daddy. Um, so I don't get as much time as I used to for playing games. Um, right. But kind of in the evenings after my wife and the baby go to bed, sometimes I squeeze in a little bit. And actually, I'm kind of boring. I, I've, I've realized at some point that I hadn't gotten like all the trophies in Brawl, and so I've been going back and like playing all the like huh. home run contest and all-star mode and stuff like that to finish unlocking everything.
0: Yeah, and then like the, uh, you got the game with like the flippers and all that. That's yeah. That's I mean, awesome. they just
2: they've just got a whole bunch of really silly stuff you've got to do to unlock everything. But so I've been doing that a little bit on the side, and then uh, Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver are coming out, and so I've been trying to finish a playthrough. of
1: Pokemon. <laughs> I, I apologize for the barking, by the way. I might have to go punt a dog. It's
0: okay. <laughs> Your dog is the most adorable thing ever. It's a mm. corgi, for those that do not know.
1: Just picture Ein, and you can picture my dog. There you go. Who <laughs> is making himself known? <laughs> so, if I suddenly mute, that's what happened. Uh huh. Sorry,
2: Jason. That's all right. So, so yeah. So, I've been um, trying to finish a playthrough of Pokemon Platinum before Heart Gold and Soul Silver come out. So, I'm all caught up, and I've got all my legendaries and whatnot because we're going to be, you know. Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver are gonna kind of be important parts of my summer, so I want to be prepared for them.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um, plus, I think if I remember correctly, in Heart Gold and Soul Silver, you're able to uh, do you know trading with uh, different stuff and online. Also, like right from the get go, pretty much, which is surprising. Like you don't have to win like the first gym battle or anything like that, so you can have all your all your guys ready to go in Platinum and just continue. Yeah, pretty exciting. Um, so let's get into the top headlines. For wait, the, wait, 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 oh,
2: what have you been playing, Yoko? What have I
0: been playing? Of course, I'm trying to focus so much on you guys. I have been playing Metal Gear Solid 3. Now, last time I said I was playing Metal Gear Solid 2, and I loved that release. game so much. But, uh, yeah, I finished playing 3, and I kind of have mixed feelings about it, because the story is just so fantastic, and you can't, like... There's no matching, like, the ending and all of the stuff that's revealed, and it's it's classic, but just because it's set in the 1960s, um, the technology isn't as good. It's like it's the only Metal Gear game without the Soliton radar, so you can't see in the upper corner, like, where you are, where your enemies are, how to properly do the path and all that, and I'm I'm terrible at Metal Gear to begin with anyway. I'm just more like play on the easiest difficulty, run through, screw stealth, I'm going to trank all you guys, and I'm going to move to the next part in the story. That's, that's how I play Metal Gear Solid. So when you don't have like a map to begin with, and you have to worry about like your stamina and eating food, and it's great for like the jungle scene experience, but I'm just more of a fan of the second game. But I've been playing MGS3, and I also tried Mario and Sonic at the Winter Olympics.
2: Oh, how was that?
0: It was a big pile of meh. It was, like, it tried to do some things right, and, you know, curling. You see curling on the t- on TV, and, you know, in a couple days, the Winter Olympics will come to a conclusion, so get in your curling watching while you can, but the game tries to emulate curling, and it does an interesting job of it, but then some other games are just not that fun. Like, when you see uh, commercials that have, like, the figure skating part, when mm-hmm. like, the athletes are sitting on the plane, and there's Mario and Sonic and the big plushie. Um, the figure skating is very different because you get to choose your music, and based on that music, it plots out different courses, and there are points on the ice where you have to do different things, like you have to move the remote up, you have to move the remote down, you do some spin, and, or keep it balanced, or different kinds of things like that, and it's, it really does not emulate the, uh, the figure skating performance. Then again, I don't know if, like, Peach...
2: What, were... what could really emulate a figure skating performance as far as video games go?
0: I suppose that's a fair point. Um, maybe when Natal comes out... No, I'm, I'm kidding. But, uh... I don't know. Maybe if uh, Sonic was wearing feathers or like some of those costumes that they have actually in figure skating, <laughs> it might help the, uh, the scenic experience and all that. But, uh...
2: Are there any, like, zany Nintendo power-ups? Like, is there a blue shell you can shoot at somebody and bobsledding and knock them off? Or can not, you throw a, a banana peel out on the ice while they're dancing?
1: Not See, really. That, that would... needs to be in the real Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, I, I think that would be an interesting addition. But they really tried, I think, to stay close to, like, try, uh, emulating the games as well as they could. And there are just some things that, you know, you wonder how they looked over. For example, in curling... Oh, we got some nasty static. For example, in curling, um, when the CPU opponent decides to, you know, tell the uh, the sweepers to sweep, um, whenever they actually sweep, there's a sound cue that plays. And, for example, uh, let's see. So if Daisy's like the one who pushed the rock, I don't know the exact curling definitions, forgive me. They push the rock towards the house. um, And she's trying to tell their, uh, you know, her sweepers to sweep repetitively, it'd just be like Woohoo
2: Woohoo
0: Woohoo and like it would not stop until they've stopped sweeping and, you know, the, the rock has landed in the house. And like each character has their own little thing that they say, but if they want to keep sweeping the the sound just loops and it's obnoxiously annoying. It's it's yeah. So it's it, it does some things okay, but it's otherwise Kind of, or some. It's a It's a meh in my book.
1: All right. It sounds like a rental, for the most part.
0: There you go. Especially right. because, I mean, Olympic games are just games that are like, you know, after the Olympics, nobody's going to really care to play anyway, so.
1: Now, I might go real curling tomorrow. Like, actually Dude. in the real life.
0: In the real life. <laughs>
1: I mean, you'll have to like... IRL. IRL. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of this. Uh, I'll tell you guys how it goes out in the world. In the meat world? hmm mm-hmm. But yep. there's a place in Dallas that there's apparently a Dallas curling club. Wow. That, of course there would be curling in Texas. Why wouldn't there? <laughs> and because of all the interest it's getting from the Olympics, they're having a big open house type thing.
0: I think they said <laughs> on the Olympics that there's, like, only 60-some curling, you know, clubs in the United States. I know there's one, like, maybe a half hour away, and one of my roommates is actually going curling. I think I think the main challenge would just be, like, you know, finding the right sort of strength to gauge the throwing the rock and, like, the right kind of turn that they have on there.
2: Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a game of, it's a game of
1: control. It's like golf.
0: Exactly, but I hear there is cool.
1: a physical element to it, though. Like, you, the next morning, you're sore. Hmm. Well, maybe
0: that's for all the, all the, you know, sweeping that you do.
1: And, and the pucks are heavy. Pucks, or stones. Well, yeah, heavy. they're made of, like, like, granite.
0: I think they're 42 pounds or something like that. I don't know. Something don't like don't quote me on that.
2: Can I just pause real fast and say, go Team USA hockey?
0: Absolutely.
2: What an amazing game.
0: I mean, Canadian fans, you're, you're going down on Sunday. Just saying. <laughs> we beat you once. We're going to beat you again. Yeah, six goals in 12 minutes. Amazing. Yeah, I, I could amazing. not
1: shut up about hockey yesterday. <laughs> I must have been annoying my friends to to no end. But, I mean, yeah, it's been so much fun to watch. I mean, all right, the first 10 minutes of the game yesterday was really fun to watch after that. You <laughs> didn't really miss anything. But, I mean, that, that USA-Canada game from the, this past Sunday?
0: Yeah, that yeah, it was, it was pretty epic. I mean, we haven't beat them in, what, 50 years of international play? I'm a little worried about the, the game on Sunday, but, you know, just you got to have faith. And uh, And they're getting us
1: over. I mean, this this is already so far beyond my expectations for USA Hockey, especially with the direction that they took it, because the team made the conscious decision this year, we're not going to have the old veterans, not the names that you recognize. And because they're all 35 and over, and while they're fantastic players historically, they're not the future of the league. And so they have all these really no-name players. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but the number of people that know who Kane is, mm-hmm. it's not that large. Right.
0: Unless you live in Chicago, but but yeah, I mean, what is it? If you just compare the rosters to Canada's, like, Canada's is so stacked, and like, they should win gold, but they're not.
2: <laughs> just, just Regardless, a, it's a big win for North America absolutely. and all of the North American fans, so...
0: With Russia and Sweden not even meddling, it's, it's definitely an interesting uh, sort of time for Olympic hockey. But before we uh, keep talking about Olympics for the rest of the episode, let's talk about the main reason why you guys are on the show. We've got to really start pushing this, uh, this tournament on a podcast front. Uh, Jason is the, uh, the head honcho, and Scav and I are only willing to help you know, um, for this big tournament he's pulling. So, Jason, let's talk about the airship.
2: Yeah, so um, I've been kind of out of the the loop as far as tournament hosting goes for a long while, working on my career. and um, But I've stayed involved in the Smash community. I'm still in both back rooms, and I'm um, still a mod on the site. So I try to make sure that I, I've stayed involved because, you know, as a designer, I think it's important for me to stay connected to grassroots gamers so that I don't get a completely top-down view of gaming that I'm able to look at it from the bottom up still. And um, so, you know, I've stayed involved, and this past fall, you know, there was a lot of discussion going on in the, the brawl back room about, you know, people saying, you know, well, what are we going to do about a national this year? Are we going to rely on EVO? Are we going to look for Major League Gaming to do something for us? Uh, can we find a way to make one of our events bigger? Yada, yada. And there was a little bit of... Um, I don't know there was a little bit of of kind of disappointing talk in there as far as I was concerned it felt like the, the group was kind of looking to outside the community for us to be successful and I think we've already proven that our community is incredibly successful on its own that we are probably the the most active and successful um competitive gaming you know group um as far as fighting games go out in you know in North America. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I said, you know what, guys, I'm going to come back. I'm going to do something this year. So I got talking to, um, scav kind of right away and said, Hey, do you want to help me do this? Because obviously he's run big events before and he's got, um, a lot of experience in marketing and promoting things. And so we said, well, let's see, we're, we're kind of older guys. We're kind of out of the loop. Um, But what we do bring to the table is, you know, we're professionals. We've got professional connections. We know how to do this stuff. And so we kind of started putting our heads together and talking about the possibilities, and the airship kind of rose up out of it. Um, Because what what we wanted to do with this was say, hey, here is a national championship event that we can do this summer that's going to have a professional sheen, but it's going to be grassroots-driven, and our community can be super proud about it. You know, we can come to this and say this is fun for everyone. This isn't just about the pros. This isn't just about the amateurs. This isn't about any other uh, community or group or whatever. It's about the Super Smash Brothers tournament community getting together, having a,
1: an awesome event that we can all be proud of and have a great time at. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because it, this is kind of the the culmination of several ideas that Jason and I have been talking about for really the past year and longer. About uh, there was talk for a little while of there's really not a big nintendo celebration out there there isn't a a blizzcon for nintendo for instance where you just really it's a place for all the fans to go and have a fantastic time for the entire weekend and really interact with these games that we've have been such a big part of our lives for so long
0: Mm -hmm. that's absolutely true i'm i'm definitely looking to see this as like the biggest Nintendo competitive event that, like, anyone has ever put together. Um, people are asking, why is it called the Airship? I know in, like, the early stages we were trying to come up with, like, a name. I think, like, Fireball was thrown around. But, like, what what was the actual decision to deciding on the Airship?
2: Um, I think we just kind of drifted towards that name because it felt a little different, felt a little unique, um... And I don't know, I don't think Scav was
1: particularly a big fan of it at first, but I think it grew on him. I um, I fought it pretty hard, actually. And then I realized <laughs> that I wasn't thinking up anything better. I mean, I put, during during downtime at work, it'd be like, all right, let's put some advertising muscle behind this and try to come up with something really witty and fantastic. And it sounds like I'm saying that's I settled on it, but as I started comparing airship and the kind of prepackaged idea how it resonates with video games like final fantasy and mario especially and everything that that brought is something that we could uh, own in a way right right it's fantastic absolutely so let's see
0: jason let's give the the specs about the tournament you know time location events Let's let's lay it all out. What's the idea for what's, what the airship is really all, all right. about?
2: So, all right, let's see here. I'm going to pull up. We've got a thread on Smashboards. You can go to the the tournament listings room, and you can see us. Um, if you just want to go to like your Smashboards.com, like the thread ID is two six six four two zero, and um, what we're looking at is late July, July twenty second through the twenty fifth. It's going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, right right near where i live now um i got a really great deal on a convention center here the brand new convention center it's only been open about a year um and the place is really beautiful we've got ten thousand square feet of space um we're going to have three huge rooms included and also a, a really long big um open hall where we're going to have some you know some sponsors and some exhibitors with booths there um so and kind of the you know part of the goal is you know started off as like, hey, this is a Super Smash Brothers event, we're going to be super proud of it. And then we started thinking, hey, there's some synergy here with some other uh, Nintendo stuff. So we're also going to have Pokemon there. Um, so we're going to do Smash Brothers 64, we're going to do Melee, we're going to do Brawl, and then we're going to do this World Cup um, concept, which kind of grew out of uh, a thing that my crew started doing where we do um, supersets, is what we were calling them. And the idea was that you played two games of Melee, two games of Brawl and one game of Smash 64 as, like, a best of five. Um, And so we thought, hey, that'd be a cool way to do kind of, like, a regional thing. So, you know, there's going to be some other big events this summer, and, you know, we were talking before the podcast. We're all really excited about all the cool stuff that's happening this summer. And we thought, you know, these guys are all going to have, like, a crew battle or something like that. Ever since back when the Kishas started the crew battle thing for FC, it's, it's grown. It's become kind of an expected part of an event. So we said, how can we do something different that's going to bring that same kind of excitement in so that we're not competing, we're bringing something unique. And so this World Cup idea came up where it's going to be teams of five and um, players are going to be able to say, all right, well, we've got our team of five. That's their team of five. We're going to assign these two guys to Brawl, this these two guys to Melee, and this guy to Smash 64, and they're going to go up against um, the kind of same guy on the other team in, in these games. So it's nice. kind of like um, a tennis match almost. Yeah. Right, so you have like the number one and the number two, and they they face off against the number one and the number two on the other team, that sort of thing. Um, so, and then we've got we're looking at Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver, um, a couple of different events for that. As something, you know, if you're a Smash kid and you also play Pokemon for fun, if you don't get into, you know, don't don't want to play one of these other events, you can definitely, you know, spend some other time playing Pokemon. Um, plus, that means lots of people are going to have their DS there, which means you can do some trading, you can get some other games going, um, and then we're looking at some other, you know, potential events to add in, like Tatsunoko versus Capcom, um, which I'm really enjoying. I've got the official like arcade stick for that and having a good time with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um,
0: I know Samurai Panda will want to push for that one too.
2: Yeah, he's he's already messaged me a couple of times, going, "Dude, we're going to add that, right?" <laughs> so really um, he's And then also now. Mario Kart. Mario Kart's one that I'm really interested in doing, but we got to get the right support for it from the grassroots Mario Kart communities that are out there, and make sure that we're not competing with anything they're doing. We want to support what they're doing.
0: Right. Interesting. And what about for those that you know might not might be going there and say like, well, I'm not going to do that well in the tournament, so like, what else can I do at the airship?
2: Well, we're looking at um, some some fun side events. Um, we're going to have a cosplay contest. Which um, I think is something that no one's really done at a big smash event for um, maybe some people have come dressed up maybe we've had some furries that have shown up dressed up as Fox <laughs> I don't know um, but this is going to be a full-on like cosplay contest for um, Nintendo characters people that have appeared in first party Nintendo games or Smash Brothers games, etc. Um, we're going to host a Mafia night. You know, Smashboards has got the Decisive Games Forum, which you guys should all go check out. The forum ID for that is 163, I think, 163. Um, and so uh, Matt and I, Scav and I are both good friends with Tom, the the moderator that runs that, and we're trying to get him to come to the event and run it. But, you know, give people something fun to do. And then our, our the big thing that I'm working on right now is this, this Home Run Contest charity event. Hmm. So what we want to do is you know, not just have a big event, but also give us something like where we can give back and we can do something that the community can be proud that we've accomplished. So we're looking at partnering with Child's Play. Um, we're going to give them all the proceeds from this and we have people come in and they'll pay a certain amount. And then they'll get, they'll get three tries in the home run contest to max out their distance. And so we'll have some prizes from sponsors for the people that do the best. And then all those proceeds are going to go to Child's Play. And we'll be broadcasting that live on Thursday night because Thursday night is probably just going to be, uh, we're we're finalizing the schedule right now, but it's probably just going to be like like early rounds of pools, um, and so we'll be cutting in with the home run contest and the charity stuff and all that while that's going on. Plus Thursday night we're also going to do the the drawings for the pool play for the World Cup, so kind of like they do at a real World Cup where they do like pool selection event. We're going to do that thing too. We're going to be drawing names out of a hat and. Probably we'll probably spice it up. Probably won't be a hat, it'll probably be like a box with some <laughs> decorations on it. Maybe like a make it fancy. Like a like a uh, Mario Brothers question box sort of thing or I don't know. There you go. But um and we're looking at a few other things right now which we're not ready to announce, but we're gonna have fun for everyone the whole time, especially with the, the sponsor booths that are gonna be there. We're gonna have Monster Energy Drink, we're gonna have uh the Escapist magazine, and we've got a couple other things in the works that hopefully we can announce soon. Um So even if you come and you're not going to do that great in the tournament, you can come, you can get your matches in, and then you can have fun the rest of the time. And on top of that, we've got a whole room set aside for free play. So there's going to be side events going on in that room, and you're going to be able to sit down and play games with people from, you know, in Europe or from across the country, people that you talk to on the boards that you've never met in person before you're going to get to sit down and really, you know, have a good time with them. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun for everyone. Mm -hmm.
1: And, And that's really the key is that there's... Always something going on. I mean, a lot of times, there's there's a big topic on the forums right now about how double double elimination only tournaments are going by the wayside because half the people that play in that tournament go 0 and 2. Right, and then they can't do anything anymore. So between pool play and the sponsor booths and all these side events that are going on, there's going to be plenty of stimulation
0: absolutely and scav, talk about what your part on the the airship crew the, you know the directors if you will what's your what's your role
1: this is kind of a new thing for me i keep on forgetting that i'm not in charge of the bracket and uh, what i'm focusing on now is the media that we're using and especially the live stream twitter podcasting blogging and creating a product for everybody that's there to be able to interact with leading up to the event, but also that's for everybody that can't make it. If you can't go to a, the day of the tournaments or you want to follow what's going on, just total media coverage where you're seeing these guys are playing on this live stream, these people are playing right now, uh, mew king just got knocked out by whoever, oh my god.
0: <laughs> Gasps, OMG, shocker.
1: <laughs> and... and Coordinating all of that so that it all works together, and you can go to this one page and say, "I know exactly what's going on right here." Uh, we want to have, for instance, the cosplay contest contest on the live stream. Right. Right, sure. and you
2: know that. In case anyone's wondering, the reason why we brought Peter on board here, Yoko, is that we said, "Hey, look." we've got all these events now and there's, you know, you get 300 or 500 people that are coming. We think we're going to break 600 easily for airship. So we're going to have this big crowd here. But what about all the thousands of other people at home? Is this Mm -hmm. still going to be something they can be proud of? And when you look at some of the other streams that have been delivered for big events recently is there's all this downtime and you're watching random people play friendlies while there's tournament matches going on. And So we wanted to make sure that the live stream is something that's going to be a cool product all the way through, and it's going to be something that you know we can't promise that every second is going to be super entertaining, but we want to make sure that we get all the games up there. We want to make sure that um, there's you know when there's downtime, we're filling it with something. We're going to have some video contests that we're going to announce soon, so that we're going to have give people from the community an opportunity to create content that we can put up on the stream and say, hey, here's a video from Smasher Two Two Seven. Check it out, you know. Um, And so what we want to do is make sure that even if you're, you know, not able to come, you're too young to travel on your own or you've got a job that's got you stuck where you're at or you're in summer school or you're from, you know, Korea or Brazil or Australia and you can't make it, this is still something that you can be excited about and you can say, hey, the airship was a good experience even though you weren't there.
0: So my goal is to to be there, to, you know, coordinate all the connections that are needed. You know, we are thinking about, you know, um, know, money, willing, and all that. We're thinking about having, you know, a few stations that are connected through, uh, you know, the live stream. And we'll be able to switch between those to find the ideal match. We'll have, like, a camera that's placed on the crowd, so we can switch to that as well. We'll have a camera on the broadcasters. My idea is, you know, to be the MC and do commentary, especially on brawl matches. Have a few people come in from time to time, maybe do some small interviews. And the key is also going to be, at the end of each night, we're going to do live Show Me Your News episodes from the floor... We're gonna, you know, have you know winners and you know key tournament players have interviews, and we're gonna, you know, do some plugging for the sp- our sponsors and all of them to make them happy, and even some special surprises. We haven't figured it all out yet, but this is the idea, and it's you know gonna be in late July, and it's gonna be a hell of a ride.
1: Yoko's take on SportsCenter. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I've I've done
0: some play by play commentary for Brawl in the past. It's been a little bit, but I definitely have some time to prepare and make it as enticing and ear-pleasing as possible.
2: And eye-pleasing. It's going to be video. Remember, oh, absolutely.
0: this isn't
1: just audio this time, so...
0: Yeah. There you go. So it'll be Smash Center. There you go. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: That That's not terrible.
0: Yeah. Um. So, for... And we don't have a website up yet. It's in construction. But for those who are listening to this episode, wondering, you know, in the future, wondering what the airship is, what are the website? hopefully going to be at that you can uh, learn all this about the airship.
2: Well, let's let's hold off on announcing that for right now okay. we, we may have something special in the works. So we'll see what happens.
0: You can google the airship. How about that? And you'll you'll be sure to find it. Um so let's see any let's see the uh, other gaming headlines recently. Here's some brawl topic. The uh the brawl tier list, the version 4 of the tier list recently came out. And um you know, People are you know sharing their opinions on the Smashboards and all about it. Um, giving a quick rundown, Meta Knight is at the top. He's in his own tier at the S tier. Kind of broke away from Snake there. Uh, at the high tier, uh, A is Snake. Diddy Kong has been rising up there because of ADHD's play. Falco, Ice Climbers, Marth, and Wario. In the B tier, we've got King DDD Pikachu, Olimar, Lucario, Game & Watch. Middle tier, we have C, Pit. Toon Link, Zero Suit Samus, Kirby, Rob, D, Donkey Kong, Peach, Fox, Luigi, Wolf, E, is Sheik, Pokemon Trainer, Sonic, Ness, and Bowser. Now we're getting into the low tier. We've got F, we've got Lucas, Ike, Yoshi, Mario, Captain Falcon, Samus, Jigglypuff. And in the bottom tier, the G tier, we have three Zelda characters. The Triforce, indeed. Zelda, Link, and Ganondorf. I think that's the thing that sticks out most to me when I look at this, is just that it does make sense because these characters are absolutely not as strong, but the way the voting worked out, just to have those, those Triforce uh, holders you know, work out perfectly, it's a little bizarre to look at, wouldn't you say?
2: Well, you know, the thing is, the, what's, what I think has been cool recently about the Brawl Backroom is that we're getting really good at looking at data now. Um, You know, you've got guys like, uh, I want to make sure I pronounce this right, is it Ankoku? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ankoku, you know, he collects all this tournament data. And so we've got, you know, character data, we've got character rankings, we've got all this stuff. So we're able to look at this from not just a, hey, this is our opinion, like from an actual factual statistical standpoint and help make these determinations now. And, you know, that's why you see, um, even though Zelda, like, I've seen some really good Zelda players out there. Um, but Zelda just isn't doing it in tournaments right now. And that's, you know, that's where she kind of got dinged, you know? I think she went down, what'd she go down, two tiers?
0: I think, yeah, she went down like nine spots.
2: Yeah, she went down nine spots. And that's just, you know, that's a result, you know, partially of voting, but also partially from, you know, we look at the tournament data, and we say, hey, look, she's not killing it right now. And that's the same thing with Meta Knight um, kind of taking over the top tier all by himself, breaking away from Snake. If you you look at the, the tournament data... Mennonite has a minimum of two times the the rank points. Whether you adjust like that's even adjusted for popularity, you adjust the the stats for popularity. Meta Knight's still like a minimum of two times better than Snake is um, when it comes to all of this, and so that's why he bumps up there to his own tier. And I think the next closest is Diddy at like four x. Hmm. So, you know, there's there's a statistical gap there that we had to account for when we put the tiers together. And I, I know there's going to be some griping complaining about it, but the fact is that the, the data backs it up. It's not just the, the voting of the, the backroom members.
0: And yet people still have objections, and they think the brawl backroom is crazy and all that, and they, they like to troll. Scav, does anything stick out uh, in your eyes uh, on the tier list there?
1: I'm just amazed by how involved the process has gotten where... Back in the day, what consisted of nothing more than asking everybody's opinion on who was the best, and that's why you would also see these wild oscillations where a Marth goes from low tier to top tier because of the appearance of some guy named Ken. Mm-hmm. And now we have all of this data that's set. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you is in reading the tier list, they're arranged very specifically, and it looks like they have a relation to other people that are in their exact tier like everybody in the D relates to one another in a certain way like is that saying that everybody in the D tier has say a 50% chance of beating somebody else in that tier
0: um you know i actually recently is was removed from the uh, the brawl back room cuz i wasn't that you know um I did the podcasting for the back room there, but I wasn't that, like, helpful as far as, like, making my own rankings go. But I don't think it's really particularly placed as far as, like, there's a percentage, you know, as to, you know, what character can beat which character. I think it's that, you know, everyone, as far as I remember, Clay, I think everyone makes their own list, and then, you know, all the members, like, they're average together with, like, statistics and all that. And I think it's just a matter of, like, how, they, uh, how the numbers separate each other. And they try to make, you know... I think that's not really how it is because you know you have some tiers that are have uh, more characters than another, and it's probably just a matter of like how close, uh, how closely knit you know these uh, these numbers come in. Uh, Jason, do you have any insight as to that?
2: Um, you know I don't want to. You know we we had a problem recently, people leaking information out of the back room. Right. But that's against the rules, so I don't want to reveal too much about the process. I just wanted to say that. The statistics factor in. You know, it's a big deal to us right now, and we've had a lot of really you know heated discussions recently about how we analyze the st- statistics and um, what things come out of that, and um, how much we should weight that against the opinions of top players and those sorts of things. So all that stuff is being considered, and obviously. Tier list change. These things aren't absolute. They're based on how people are performing, what things people tease out of their characters, how they do win tournaments, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, the the brawl back room doesn't say, "Hey, look, this is the gospel. Uh, these characters are in this order. These are the best." Yada yada. But we say, "This is our best. This is our best estimate right now. This is how we feel like the the competitive game has shaped um, the tournament scene, and this is what you can expect as far as performance goes out of these characters." So. Um, You know, people will great. People are going to complain about anything. You're you're always going to have like a main of a particular character that's going to be upset about one thing or another. Oh, I should have been. There's no way Fox should be in the tier above Sonic. Sonic should be on the same tier as Fox. And if you're going to put uh, Toon Link in the C tier, well, then Pikachu's got to be in the C tier too. I mean, there's there's always going to be debates like that that rage on, and that's just you know, it's a beautiful part of human the human experience. We disagree, but we still somehow coexist and important part is that we have a good time and we play a
1: game that we enjoy and we treat each other with respect Mm -hmm. and it sounds like that's an important change in philosophy too where the tier list isn't people talking about kind of getting into the game design of it they're not saying this character is better than that one that olimar is flat out better than pit it's saying this is a snapshot of the current metagame
0: i think that's an important distinction to make because a lot of people when they say oh here's a new tier list uh, let's look at the brawl tier. It they just don't have an understanding of what a tier list actually is, and like like you said, like they just sometimes think that it's like, oh, this character is better than this character no matter what, and of course, like player skill will factor into it. I mean, if you have a really you know really strong Ike player like you know Kirk back in the day, I know he was a good. I'm just looking at random characters, but like if you have a you know strong Ike player and then not so good uh, Falco player, it's not saying that Falco will beat the Ike because, you know, Falco's in high and Ike's in low, it's, you know, character uh, skill does make a difference, it's just that, you know, if uh, the players are at equal levels, what, you know, elements of the metagame that have currently been established in Brawl makes certain characters better than others. It's an inherent thing, it happens in every fighting game, and some people still don't believe that tier lists exist.
2: Tires don't exits, right, Scaf? <laughs> I've heard that before somewhere. Yeah.
0: I even have that on a shirt.
2: Um, yeah, and, you know, um, I was thinking while we were talking just then, you, you, you look, you know, you say character, your player skill factors into this. Look at, check out, um, I think it's on Swordguard's YouTube account, where you look at just the, the signature on allies' posts. Um, he's got videos of himself playing as Captain Falcon, beating like uh, a Meta Knight player in a grand final in a tournament. Yeah. So, like, character you know, character attributes are important, and how people are you know doing in tournaments is important. But at the same time, like, if you're a really fantastic player, you can do really fantastic things. So, um, you know, as I've been saying with people for years, I mean, I've been involved in doing the tier list since 2003. Um, Going all the way back to some early melee tier list before um, you know we thought that Falco was particularly as good as or you know in the same tier as Fox or Marth or whoever. I mean, pretty early stuff. Um, I've been telling people, you know, this this isn't a a judgment of your character. It's not a judgment of you as a player. It's just you know don't take it personally. Just take it as motivation to do better at the next tournament and move your character up. If that's how you feel about them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: this is true um, so yeah, any other you know thoughts on the, uh, the tier list that you have you can definitely check out the Smashboards smashboards.com and uh, in the tactical discussion it's right there at the top tier list discussion, it's sure it's going to be heated for quite some time uh, the big gaming news this week was that Nintendo had their media summit and um, we'll get to like the main topic of Mario Galaxy 2 and Metroid Other M to discuss as you know Big topics of discussion, but uh, there were certain things like the uh, finally announced the DSi XL and the release date and price point. Uh, you have March twenty eighth is the release date in North America for one eighty nine ninety nine U S dollars. Uh, Scav, i will start with you. Do you see a need for the DSi XL or any advantages that you know may warrant a purchase?
1: I've learned to stop doubting Nintendo's ability to repackage hardware and sell it to us all over again. Um, <laughs> Or software, for that matter. Yeah, that's true, too. I'm not going to buy one just because I'm still using my DS Lite, and it's not even a DSi Lite. I know, it's so retro. Mm -hmm. But I think it's selling pretty well in Japan, from what I hear. It tends to be the the more popular choice. And I think it's also interesting that some of the reviews that come in say, don't worry, guys, it's not that much bigger. Like, you're not going to... Have to buy a messenger bag or a laptop bag to carry it around. It's still very portable, but it's just not an iPad. More spacious. It's not an iPad. Not an iPad.
0: Apparently, the screen's like ninety-three percent bigger, and it can fit in like uh, back pockets of jeans or something like that. But it's still a sizable increase. That's for sure. Uh, Jason, your thoughts on the DSi XL?
2: Um, you know, Nintendo's had a really interesting strategy, and a lot of pundits like to. You know, they say, oh, well, the Wii's just a gimmick machine, and the DS, you know, when it first came out, oh, they're, they're not going to be able to find the right software to put on it, and the gimmick's going to die soon, and yada yada, and Nintendo has stayed the course, and they're incredibly wealthy for it, you know, like, their, their stock has just gone up incredibly, both literally and figuratively, as far as I'm concerned, um, And so, you know, when you look at what they've been trying to do as far as the hardware market goes, is they've been trying to, to, you know, penetrate new spaces that they haven't been to before, you know, the older gamers and um, in particular with the brain training and all that stuff. Um, So, um, you know, I think that this is going to be, you know, it's not going to be the the DS all over again. It's not like it's something so brand new and special that everyone's got to go out and buy one. But I think it's going to sell well. It's going to help them get into this, you know, these new markets um, with the older gamers because it's right. not going to be something that's hard to see. It's going to accomplish their goals. And so, whether you know the average I mean, your news listeners should go buy one or not, um, buy one if you want a bigger screen or your DS light is broken or something like that. But you know, whether we need it or not, it, it, there's a market for it. And Nintendo's going to sell to that market, and I think they're going to be successful in it. So.
0: Absolutely. I- I'm looking forward to, like, when Nintendo actually implements with, you know, the DS. Like, the plans that they've been having for, like, they, uh, f- you know, since is a part owner of the Seattle Mariners uh, baseball team, for those that do not know. Um, they've been doing stuff like, you can play, you know, trivia contests. You can order food uh, during, you know, accessing the Nintendo Wi-Fi in their stadium. I'm looking forward to like advances like that, like they were talking about at E3, where you could have it in an airport, and you could check to see if your flight's on time, things like that. I'm looking for more of like the real-life application, and I think those kind of things will definitely appeal to the uh, the older demographic, and a bigger screen absolutely helps. So. I mean, well, I mean that yeah. kind
2: of fits into the whole like iPhone iPad model, you know, where you just, so you see yeah. it become, becoming oh, more can of a
1: convergence device. device. Like, it's like it seems it's like it's Sony's been trying trying to move that way to, too, but they just haven't they just haven't had, had, had the execution for it. it.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I absolutely. Um, for those that could not make out the sta- scab, your kind of kind of staticky, really, but really it was basically saying that like. How's that? How's that? Um, not much better. <laughs> I don't know Fear. why. Fear. Mm, robot voice. <laughs> Um, oh no, that's oh, not. No, that's a really Yeah, I mean, you could just be switching a little thing on your vocal cords. Who knows? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, basically, yeah, it's like a convergence sort of thing that Sony's been trying to do. Absolutely. Um, so let's see. Yeah, that's the DSI XL. Um, they also the idea of the Media Summit was for uh, them to get into their uh, their first half uh, games of the year uh the second half of the year will be more focused for uh, e3 and i wonder what they're going to talk about at gdc later in march but that's a topic for a different time they talked about monster hunter try which is a game that comes from japan originally it's been out for a few months over there and uh it's you know continues on the monster hunter series which i honestly don't know that much about they mentioned that it has we speak capability you can also do some text chatting and the big news is that um you could you had to pay for the online there i think in japan but it will be free over here in America, and that's going to be a hardcore title for sure.
2: Yeah, and in Japan, Monster Hunter is just such a huge franchise, and it hasn't gotten as much traction in the U.S. Um, as it has over there. And, um, you know, they've got games for it on the PSP if you want to check them out in North America before you know you make an investment in the Monster Hunter for the, the Wii, but Um, my biggest problem with Monster Hunter is just all the reading you have to do to get into it. I mean, I've tried the PSP version, because one of my brothers is really into it, Mm -hmm. and there was, like, 20 minutes of reading I had to go through. Like, I had to run around town and talk to all these people before it would even let me, like, pick up a weapon. Oh my goodness. So that was what drove me nuts about that. So I don't want to, I don't want to say it's awful, because I hear a lot of people really enjoy the gameplay once they get in, and it's, it's not, um necessarily level-based, it's more skill-based and more equipment-based, so you go out, you do these things, you get money, you can buy new stuff, and the online aspect with voice chat is a really good direction for Nintendo, I'm really glad that they're doing this. Um, but it, you know, it is going to be, um, you know, it's, it's catered more to an Eastern audience than a Western audience, I would probably say.
0: This is true, this is
2: true.
1: I always hear about it talked about in the same breath as Dragon Quest, yeah, yeah. In terms of how gigantic it is, and that you have to shut down the workday when one of them comes out.
0: Absolutely, and that's a, another thing to note too is that uh, for Dragon Quest Nine, which was huge in Japan, uh, Nintendo is picking up the the uh, publishing rights from that from Square Enix, which is an interesting choice. Um, other little notes from the Media Summit: You have Sin and Punishment 2 for the Wii. I should know that uh, Monster Hunter Tri is probably going to have a April release date. Uh, yeah, so Sin and Punishment 2, um, sequel of the N64 game, you know, looks pretty impressive and interesting, uh, expansion off of that. Cave Story, which has been a PC game for a while, is going to be coming to WiiWare, finally. People have been waiting for that. And I wanted to know your guys' opinions on Photo Dojo, if you've heard anything about it. It is a DSi game, uh, based on the Photo Fighter X game out of Japan, for 200 Nintendo points, only, you know, basically two bucks, you get to, you know, take pictures of your friends in action poses, you, uh, the, the game basically, like, does a loose animation of that, kind of, like, in a beat 'em up fighter style, you can also record, uh, different lines through the microphone, and, uh, cue them up to different actions, so, basically, you get to, you know, fight your friends, and I don't know if you've seen any footage of that, but that's, that's looking pretty interesting.
1: oh huh. This is... That's the first I've heard of it, but that sounds like a really good way to get people to get the DSI because I, I hadn't seen any games yet that made me think, "Man, I wish my DS had a camera."
0: Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, that'll be two hundred points, two dollars. Probably going to be a worthy addition if you have a DSI.
1: Um, Aww. Yeah. Aw. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Scath. <laughs> well, well, I don't have only. Either, right? Maybe I'll buy it if they announce an XL version. There you go. <gasps> Wait,
0: but they have. So out recently, uh, you know, for the past couple weeks, um, some notable uh, releases. There was uh, actually heavy rain for the PS3. Basically, it's not really much of a game. It's more of a character study kind of game. I heard it's very depressing. It's uh, just has a lot of real personal kind of elements and multiple endings. So it's a really solid uh, PS3 exclusive, and we know that they're they're hankering for those. Um, and the other one that we have a lot of fans of who have already bought is uh, Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing. Uh, this is for all three consoles Wii, 360, and PS3. Although, you know, the 360 and the PS3 does have the, uh, the advantage as far as graphics and online competition go. And plus, the uh, 360 version has Banjo Kazooie as a character, which is pretty cool. But uh, I actually gave the demo a go today. And it's like, it is basically a Mario Kart that uh you know for for sega uh characters it's got you know the items the power-ups that you can use in battle and it's from what i can tell it really does not hinder uh too much on the the everyone must win kind of thing where they try to balance everyone out and you know last person can go to first at any time so i really band effect that nintendo
2: uses with the blue shells and the exactly yes so Um, it's a little bit more tame as far as that goes
0: Right, right. And um, you know, the uh the demo defaults on advanced setting there's a beginner, advanced, and expert setting. Even beginner was a little challenging, but then again, I'm not the best at uh racing games. It's got an interesting announcer. Um, definitely makes it more worthwhile. It just tries to like, you know, really make the race sound exciting. Each character has all star moves, which is, you know, specifically themed for each character. That'll be like their top move. So like Sonic will turn, you know, supersonic, and, you know, use the Chaos Emeralds and go really fast and all that. Um, It's definitely a better showing from Sega than Mm -hmm. Mario and Sonic at the Winter Olympics, that is for sure.
1: So, question, do you think it has competitive potential?
0: I think it does. I mean, obviously not for, like, uh, airship purposes, because we've got to keep bringing it back to the airship, but um, I'm sure that there will be, you know, especially with uh, 8-player online, uh, because the races are 8-players, um... It's gonna you know have a, a massive following for those that are interested in the game, and I, I I don't know if you have like actual tournaments where like people meet up for tournaments because racing games are handled relatively well online. I mean, you look at Nintendo's online, which is you know a little inferior compared to uh, other consoles, and yet Mario Kart. Being we very kind. Yeah, I'm right. I'm trying to be trying to be nice <laughs> to them there. But uh, Mario Kart Wii runs rather nicely. I mean, you see Brawl, which is frame-based, and it's it can be just awful. But racing games you know, are handled online rather well. And um, I don't really see like people meeting up for tournaments, but I think the competition will be great online. That's that's my two cents on it. But um, I'm sure you guys will really want to talk about, as we call them, the biggins. Uh, Super Mario Galaxy 2 was... Announced they had a not really announced. Uh, they had gave more info on it, had a trailer, and um, it gave a release date finally of May 23rd. I wanted to know, uh, Sky, your thoughts on um, if you saw like any of the the footage of the trailers or thoughts on you know what you're hoping for Super Mario Galaxy 2.
1: I'm gonna buy it. Yes, that's all there is to it. Uh, Mario Galaxy was some of the most fun I've had playing video games in the past several years, and that includes everything that came out, like, platforming was fun again. And I'm actually very excited to see Yoshi back, too, and seeing him work in the video. Like, Mm -hmm. it seems like they finally had an idea for what they can do with Yoshi in a 3D environment. And that's why we weren't really seeing him until now, because what do you do with him? You can't treat him the same way you did in Super Mario World.
0: Right, you get to point around in 3D space for him to... Stretch out his tongue. He gets to do certain power ups. where He becomes like an air balloon to work around the thing. There's, I'm sure, there's a lot, even a lot more uh, power ups that Yoshi is able to do.
2: Yeah, I uh, just to, to echo what Matt said. I, I'm buying it too. Um, Mario Galaxy. I know some people out there say, "Oh no, it's you know, Mario sixty four is the best ever. Mario Galaxy just didn't have it." And some people even really like Sunshine, which I wasn't a huge fan of, but. Mario Galaxy just, I mean, as a game designer, I was just, like, so excited about what they did with the designs for the levels, you know? Like, I was thinking all the, the cool ways that they were thinking, you know, I was thinking about the meetings that they had where they were like, okay, what can we do in space? Okay, we can run around in circles on these things. How can we, you know, reverse the gravity? How can we jump from this thing? To, I mean, just all the cool stuff that they put into it from a design perspective just blows my mind. So I'm looking forward to even more of it.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, they are doing you know interesting things like they're expanding and like I think the reason why it's coming out so quickly after you know Mario Galaxy Two is that they are using more or less the same engine and you know we were looking at it the first time when they announced it at E3 and just saying, well why can't it be an expansion pack? Oh right, because we can't do an expansion pack. But they are adding more uh, elements you know because we uh, saw a boss battle in like one of the first levels where Mario has a drill and you can you know drill through the planet. So now you're not only thinking about how to attack you know, the enemy head-on, but you have to think on the other side of the planet. It's things like that that I think it's going to make it a very exciting uh, addition, and I would be remiss without mentioning that um, one of the complaints about Mario Galaxy was the box art, where uh, they had little sparkles you know, by each letter, and if you remember, You Are Mr. Gay, that was something that Nintendo kind of made a mistake on there, uh, with the logo design for Super Mario Galaxy, this has been changed. They were trying to nip that in the bud. I know people would be saying, like, I oh, have, well, did you see this? Yes, we... I have
2: no idea what you're talking about. Really?
0: If yes. you look at the uh, If you look at the box art for Super Mario Galaxy, and you know, listeners, feel free to as well if you have it. Um, the letters, you know, there are some of them that have little stars by them. And uh, the, one, the only ones that have stars by them are the letter U-R-M-R-G-A-Y for Super Mario <laughs> Galaxy. So it it spells out for a rather interesting message. But yes, they they have changed that in the, the sequel's box art.
1: Uh, I don't yeah, think it's... someone did that on purpose. <laughs> I, know, I know that was talked over and over back in the day, but I mean, I lumped that in with the phallic imagery on Disney movie boxes.
0: Right, right. It's probably like, let's see if we can sneak this by Miyamoto-sama. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, wow, that...
1: I'm looking at my
2: box right now, and it's there. It is That's there. I <laughs> never noticed that before.
0: It's, it's one of those things that like someone probably looked just like for too long at the box art and said like, "Oh, yep, there well, it, it is." It's
1: time to do this stuff. I
0: have no
1: uh, idea. Jason, have you heard of this thing called the internet? Yeah, I guess so.
2: <laughs> I'm just like I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not that observant. I guess I do, you know, help do tier lists for games, so I can't be too judgmental. Everyone's got their thing. <laughs>
0: Right. Um any other thoughts on Super Mario Galaxy 2? What about the release
2: date? Um are you surprised that
0: it's this early in the year? We were almost thinking that it might be more of a holiday release, but you think that might be uh reserved for Zelda.
2: Um I think something cool's coming if they're willing to do Mario Galaxy, you know, going into the summer so you know whatever it is we can be excited about it we get mario sooner and then we know something cool is coming for for this winter so obviously they didn't want to compete with themselves and uh you know the summer months are notoriously slow in the game industry there's not a lot of releases um and you know that that is in part because a you know summer's really important or winter's really important for retail already um, so people save up, you know, if you've got something that's ready for August, why not save it and put it out in September or October when it's closer to Christmas and you have more um, opportunity to kind of get on that Christmas spend. Um, but also because, you know, families go on vacations and that sort of stuff. And so despite the fact that it's summertime and kids have more time for games, their, they're, you know, families are spending their money other ways. At least that's the way I've always understood that part of the industry to work. So... If Nintendo's, you know, they're putting this in the spring, that means they've got a whole summer of, like, very low competition to say, hey, here's Mario, here's Mario, here's Mario.
1: Right. I think it says a lot about their philosophy for the game, too, where even down to the title, it's Super Mario Galaxy 2. This is, it's pretty rare that we see an, an offshoot like that. I mean, even Super Mario Sunshine, that was the GameCube Mario game. And then Super Mario Galaxy was this entire new concept and so while this is going to be an evergreen title that sells forever for Nintendo, hmm. they're not using it as like the the fulcrum for their lineup in the later part of the year
0: right, right, and Nintendo does have a strong you know upcoming lineup, which is usually like you know, it's going to be on you know, one of the weaker times of the year, but you 've got uh, Red Steel two from Ubisoft. Um, in you know coming this March is going to be a, a very strong title. It's getting a lot of you know good press. You got uh, in April you got Monster Hunter Try. May is Super Mario Galaxy 2, and in June June 27th to be in uh, specific is Metroid the other M. Now I mean it's going to be an interesting take on the Metroid franchise. This uh, blend of Nintendo and Team Ninja. Um, the interesting news that they uh, were reporting from the demos that the press had a hands on was that the game had elements of, well, first it should be noted that it's a single Wii remote control. No nunchuck, no classic control, it's single Wii remote. Uh, you hold it uh, on its side for the 2D aspects, you have two as a jump, one as a shoot, uh, one can also be held to charge, and then uh, A goes in the morph ball, so you have that kind of fast-paced action, and then when you point the Wii remote at a screen, it kind of does like the, uh, the Super Paper Mario effect, where you can... You know, it changes the angle. You look the first person. You can look for, you know, different items and that kind of thing. Does some more some more exploring elements that uh, Metroid is, is well known for. But this blend is apparently not that jarring. It's actually very natural, very quick. Um, And, guys, you think that... Uh, I think my main question that I have about Other M is that you have some Metroid fans who originally started with Prime and got used to that whole exploration thing. Sure, you have, you know... The original metroid you have super metroid which are well known for the 2d elements but what do you think about this blend between um you know the the 2d and then almost like the 3d adventure uh elements scab we'll start with you
1: i feel like i have to play it first i mean i've been watching the videos and or video as the case may be and i don't know what to make of it yet like i don't know if i'm going to sit down and say you know this is a neat idea but I, I wish I was had a controller in my hands, or at least that, that I wish I had the analog stick on the nunchuck. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like the the execution of it is going to be very important, and I'm is skeptical over. I, I'm probably going to be renting it first unless the reviews are just out of this world. Huh. Right, Jason.
2: Um, he, here's what I have to say about it: New Super Mario Brothers. Um, Nintendo is figuring out, I think, that games don't have to keep like pushing boundaries to be successful, to be a lot of fun, um, and that also that 2D isn't dead. Um, I think you know, Mega Man Nine taught that to to us. Mm-hmm. New Super Mario Brothers taught that to us, and there's been a lot of cool platforming games that have been coming out. So. We're seeing some some cool stuff happening here, and so I think what they're doing is they're going back to some of these kind of two D roots for for Metroid. And just because there are people that started Metroid with Prime, doesn't mean that they can't get into this. There are people that started Mario with Smash or with um, with sixty four or with Sunshine. Even I mean, there are a lot of kids in the Smash community out there, the big fans of Show Me Your News that are too young to really remember playing the NES and the S N E S back in the day or didn't play it that much in their big gaming system, like has been the you know, the GameCube or the Xbox or whatever. And so regardless of that, New Super Mario Brothers was a big deal. So I think
1: this can be a big deal too, if they execute it properly. And And I think what they're doing It's great to see that Nintendo's not afraid to reinvent its core properties over again. I mean, we made the joke earlier about Nintendo repackaging software and selling it to us, but Mm -hmm. uh, that is what they did with New Super Mario Brothers, and it's really what they did with Metroid Prime as well. I remember people being really upset about Metroid going to first person. They said, it's never going to work. It's not going to have that same adventuring feel. It's not even developed by guys in Japan. And they used that Prime label to say, all right, we have several Metroid properties.
0: I'm curious also what you guys think about uh, how you think the game's difficulty will pan out, because Nintendo did have the stigma for a while last year that, oh, they're not treating their hardcore games, quote-unquote, with respect, that they're making them easy so that anyone can get into them, and, you know, corruption was... Metroid Prime 3 corruption was relatively easy. Mario Galaxy was... in comparison, really easy. People are saying that Mario Galaxy 2 might be difficult. Um, New Super Mario Bros. is rather challenging. Do you think that we'll be seeing a, a difficulty uh, ramp up in Metroid Other M here?
2: Um, I think there's a chance we'll see difficulty settings. Again, you know, going back to Nintendo's business model now, they want everyone to play. And that's the only way the industry can keep growing. There's only going to be so many you know, um, people that are interested in specific types of content. I, you know, I'm, I've been a gamer pretty much my whole life. I played the NES back in the day when it first came out. Um, and now I'm in my late twenties. I've got a, a daughter, I've got a career and I don't have time to put in 40 hours into a game to, to become incredible at it. You know, I don't have time to, um, get lost in these really intricate worlds, and some people do, but a lot of people don't, and that's why I think you see kind of this casual thing growing, um, where, you know, they don't demand a whole lot, they, what they're, what they're trying to do is give you a fun experience, Um, so I don't think that it's necessarily not treating it with respect, it's opening the doors for more people to play, and there, there are games out there for people who want Difficult games, or who want competitive games, even on a Nintendo console. I mean, um, you look at like The Conduit that came out last summer. Um, Good game, not like the the best first person shooter ever, but a really great first person shooter for the Wii. And it sold so poorly that Sega says, alright, well, we're not going to do hardcore games on the Wii anymore. So that stuff existed and players didn't support it. So why should Nintendo keep spending money to give? you know, people who don't support their products stuff that they want. Do so, I mean, that content exists out there, but it doesn't necessarily have to be part of Nintendo's strategy to make things as hard as possible for it to be successful or respectful to the franchise.
0: Do you think a further software implementation of the Super Guide from New Super Mario Bros. Wii would help achieving, you know, and getting that sort of uh, demographic?
2: Certainly. You know, that it, it's... I know a lot of people want to laugh at it, but it, the thing is, is that everyone has fun a different way. You know, it's like saying, what's what's better, baseball or football? Or what's better, uh, Mario or Sonic? Or, you know, you can make your case for who's more influential and who makes more money and whatever else, but in the end what it comes down to is, I have more fun watching hockey on television than I do watching baseball on television. So, you know... Entertainment is, you know, it's not um, something we should get snooty about. We should just look at it as we're continuing to get products that are, you know, fun, exciting. And as long as they're fun and exciting, we keep spending money on them. And we, are, you know, are happy to see our favorite characters again. But um, it's not like Nintendo's, like, George Lucasing Mario Brothers because uh, they, they want to make the games a little bit more
1: accessible.
0: Mm-hmm. This also isn't. Go for it. I don't
1: think this is new for Nintendo either, especially with the Mario games. They've always had this organic difficulty curve where in every single Mario game, you can skip 60 or 70% of the levels with the proper shortcuts or the star roads. And I remember when I was little, that was the only way that I played it. I would always go to that warp pipe and go to the last level. Hmm. And so okay. they basically say can, can. you can, The challenges are there if you want it, if you want to get all 120 stars in Galaxy, or if you just want to play the game and have fun, you can do it with just 70. Interesting. Now, I uh... also think it's no coincidence that as games have become more and more popular, it's correlated with the unforgiving levels going down. I mean, you get good old day syndrome with guys that are our age saying, oh, back in my day... Games were hard, and playing on the NES, you would have to die 50 times just to get through a level and learn the pattern in the most intricate manner possible. And that wasn't fun for most people.
0: Right, right. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on, Metroid Other M, and i will ask you first, um, is the idea that, you know, that's going into Samus's, uh, into her past and her backstory and all that, and the fact that they're actually giving her a voice when she's usually silent, aside from you know the random grunts here and there. I'm personally hoping that uh, they actually cast Jennifer Hale for those video game voice actor junkies out there. Um, what she's done, let's see, she's Naomi Hunter in the Metal Gear franchise, and she's uh, her, Jennifer Hale did the quote-unquote grunts in the Prime series. Um, she also did another big role that's not really coming to me right now, and that's going to bother me tremendously but um what do you think about actually giving Samus a voice and having that lend to her backstory
1: Uh, I was surprised by that because it's always been a Gordon Freeman type treatment of her though didn't we see that in the Game Boy games too a little bit they started becoming a little bit more story driven yeah yeah. and uh, character based especially like oh great now I have something that's going to bother me but whatever (laughs) moving on (laughs) Uh, That's why I see this as being an entirely different property. I mean, it's going to be as different to the other Metroid games as uh, Mario Galaxy is from New Super Mario Brothers. So they have that same overlapping branding, but people know that when you're buying an Other M game, and hopefully they come up with a better title than that, but (laughs) if you're buying an Other M game, that you're going to get these more heavily story-based elements, whereas when you buy a Prime game, you're going to get a first-person shooter element.
0: Mm-hmm. Jason thoughts on uh, actually giving a voice to Samus
2: Um, I just hope they do it well I heard some reviews um, and it's supposed to be closed door and hush hush right now they're just trying to build some excitement but of course people are going to break that and so there have been some talk coming out that the voice acting that's in there right now is really really bad Like, like like early 90s translation from Japanese stuff uh-oh. So, my concern is just that if they're going to do it, do it right. Like it's Metroid, it's going to sell a million billion copies. So spend some money and get some good voice actors in there. Nintendo, if you're listening to me, if if the voice acting is as bad as everyone's saying, please just go find somebody else. Go spend some money. Yeah. How
1: weird would it be if Link started talking?
0: <laughs> "Hey, excuse me, princess."
1: <laughs> I think it's you, you know say. I now retract my question. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, another thing.
0: I, just quickly back to Mario Galaxy 2, I want to make mention that was, uh, you know, IGN was doing their, their live blog of the event and I know that was what I was following. And they were saying that uh, during the actual gameplay, it was more like MIDI-based sounds, but don't worry. Nintendo specifically tracked them down to make sure that they know that it will be an orchestrated soundtrack once again. So... I think you know, Galaxy. It's one of the the best things about it is just the music and the phenomenal job that they they do with it. So,
2: yeah, it's got really high production values overall, and that's one of those things where you just can't you just can't fault Nintendo because the production values on on those games are just so high.
0: Mm Hmm. Absolutely. Um. I think that's all for like the headlines and all that. So let's get into like a last few uh, mail time questions. We just got a letter. We just got a letter, we just got a letter, we just got a letter, wonder who it's from? First question comes from Taksu Who, in your opinion, is the best developed video game character from the last decade? So from the 2000s. Um, who wants to go first?
1: Not it. Ha! <sighs>
2: Well, um, I am probably the wrong person to ask a question like this because I really don't play like RPGs where it's you know really story heavy. Um, if you know you want to say who's done the best as far as development goes, I might have to say Master Chief, even though he's like a you know another silent protagonist sort of situation, or not so much silent but faceless protagonist. Um, that he's been developed very well. I mean, they took the first game, and they made three incredible games, whereas a lot of franchises don't get that. But if you're talking about just, like, character development and backstory and all that, like, you got me stumped because I'm more of a multiplayer gamer.
0: Mm, I see. Um, I'll go next to give Scav some more time to think since he so eagerly called not it. Um, (laughs) I'm going to say Big Boss, actually, and I hate to be, like, you know, I've been answering, like, some, you know, uh, mail time questions from the past couple episodes as Metal Gear sort of thing, but when it comes to just story and how they portray it cinematically, I think you can't really go wrong by naming Metal Gear as a, a top example. And again, I may be biased since I just finished three. But you know the development of Naked Snake from you know his you know relationship with the boss and what he had to go through with that. Not only that, but you had games like you know Portable Ops, which you know further expanded Big Boss's uh, story. And then, um, shoot, Metal Gear Solid Four. If you haven't played Metal Gear Solid Four yet, shame on you. And that's all I'm going to say as far as spoilers are concerned. But I'm, I'm going to say a uh, big boss for his you know character development spanning over multiple games and just the uh, the way Kojima tells his story.
1: All right. Well, I think I'm going to have to answer my World of Warcraft character. My little gnome <laughs> warrior just had this amazing backstory and character curve <laughs> and starting when she was a lowly level one and ending with a tragic hacking to become a Chinese gold farmer. It's really quite a moving story.
0: <laughs> How but many levels has he grown?
1: Actually, only to 60. I was able to kick the habit before the first expansion pack came out. Oh,
0: good for you. <laughs>
1: Happy to say. Now, the real answer, I think the character I've responded most to in the past several years is Andrew Ryan from Bioshock. Oh, yeah, good choice. And... Even just, like, seeing those posters that came out that had uh, backlighting ink on them. Which, first of all, is a great idea. (laughs) Way to go. But just talking about the death of Andrew Ryan as the death of the self and the long monologues that he would go on. And I'm embarrassed to say that despite everybody constantly talking about how much uh, Ayn Rand philosophy is in the game... I only recently had the realization that Andrew Ryan is that closely related to the actual name, Ayn Rand. Mm. Apparently, I live under a rock. But just the entire character was so three-dimensional to me, and I found myself responding to it. Don't worry, I did not make that connection
0: either myself, but that's pretty, that's pretty smart. Um, Let's see. Next question, second question, comes from Sir Dwight the Brave. What are your thoughts on the upcoming Academy Awards? the The Oscars are early March. I want to say, oh, it's I can't say for sure which day, but early March. Check your local listings. Do you have any
1: favorite I'm movies? in you, Yoko. <laughs> I know I should know better. I really should. <laughs> um, it's alright. It's not like you're majoring in this or anything. No, no, not at all. I'm actually going into
0: more into TV, so I care more about the Emmys than the Oscars. Right. But that's just me making excuses, actually. So do you have any favorite movies that you want to win and your thoughts on the upcoming Oscars?
1: I think Avatar deserves to win it. Deserves to win Best Picture and Best Director. And this has caused many heated dinner table conversations for me because you get everybody saying, no, it's cliche, we've seen it all before, and it's all who cares about the technology behind it and all of that. But I think it is the perfect execution of what a hollywood movie is today and that's really that's what the academy awards are it's not about the it, it's really not about the artistic side of it i'm sorry it's about hollywood and talking about what engages with audiences and that nothing did that this year better than avatar interesting yeah i'll i'll be now, one to that's dis- not to say that it should be all money driven i mean they we're not going to give the award to the uh movie that grossed the most in the opening weekend
0: that's very interesting like see i actually take the uh that counterpoint as well that like i was i took screenwriting classes so like story's a big deal to me and i found the blend of um fern gully meets pocahontas to be very disappointing and absolutely technically it was astoundingly beautiful i i really enjoyed how when if you saw the movie in 3d it didn't do any like Oh, I'm gonna shoot an arrow right in your face to make you jump because it very well could have done that, but it really didn't. It just focused more on the cinematic depth, the depth of the shot, uh, especially the moment when they were in that uh, that holy place and they had the spinning pink flower kind of things, and you can just see it like moving into like you know the the foreground so nicely, and like that was that was like the moment that you know I really realized that, like the potential of 3D, but. I'm gonna go and say that the Hurt Locker is going to win Best Picture, and I, I've I've seen parts of it, but like just in discussion with uh you know some of my film major ilk's and some you know people who focus more on criticism, Hurt Locker's got a pretty good shot to to take that home.
1: I'll take you up on that bet. Okay. Um, now, when I say it's really technically good too for Avatar, I, I think that applies to the story, the way he took the standard Hollywood plot, and he knows every archetype and plot point and beat that needs to go into a script that people react to and with everything with how it was set up like the uh the the final climax being set up in one of the very first scenes of the movie for instance Mm -hmm. it was all very meticulous meticulously put together to be this mythological uh mythical journey hero's journey type story that Really, it's the best execution since the first Star Wars, I think.
0: But dude, he could have picked a better name than Unobtainium, and for that to be a MacGuffin, that it just like uh, ultimately
1: uh, disappears uh, uh, at the end? That, that's an unfortunate, ongoing joke in science fiction. That <laughs> It's like the Wilhelm scream, where we keep on hearing it just because people that make movies think it's funny. Right. And, I mean, I'm with you. It wasn't It wasn't interesting in the core, and it wasn't a good name in... Yeah, you know, I, I, I I just...
2: I appreciate, like, as far as technology goes, like James Cameron has certainly changed the way we are going to make movies, you know, especially big blockbusters. I mean, now you see, I mean, how many movies are going into 3D now? They just announced that the the final two Harry Potter movies they're going to push out to 3D because of the success of um, of Avatar. And so, obviously, he's changed the way films are going to be made. But as far as storytelling goes, I was so bored. With with what Avatar had to offer, and I know that it was a good story, and lots of people are really excited about it. Um, this is the type of like, I mean, he he pulled it straight out of like TVTropes.org org and like put together this this whole plot. Um, but like, I saw all the gears turning. Like you like from the start of the film, like I probably could have sat like sat down given been being given the opening and written the whole rest of it myself and had to get pretty close. Um. And so, like it was just so cliche all the way through that, like I saw all the gears turning the whole time, and was like, "Oh gosh, oh gosh." But I was, I was blown away by the visuals. I did think it was really cool. Um, it was really beautiful. But just as far as storytelling goes, James Cameron has nothing to offer us, um, and that's why I really liked District Nine. And District Nine is kind of my like darling, and I, I'm sure it has no shot at like a big award. Um, I was
1: stunned that it was nominated. Very happy for it, but very yeah. surprised.
2: But District Nine, it was just it was it was a whole different look, and it was what good sci-fi is supposed to do. It's supposed to take a situation that human beings deal with, and kind of like take us out of it and show it show it to us through a different lens. And so I thought, as far as storytelling goes, District Nine was just like oh, it was so. So incredible. And then, you know, if i got to say a feel-good movie, I really loved Up this year. And I know that it's weird to call that a feel-good movie mm-hmm. considering all the sad stuff that was in it, but I thought it had a really beautiful message, and it was really well executed, and I'm a big Pixar fan. so
0: Yeah, that's, no, that, that's almost like a shoe-in for Best Animated. So it, it's good that like, it should at least win something because that was a, a very strong movie. Um, I know the, question, the person who asked the question, uh, Sir Dwight the Brave, is a big fan of Up in the Air. And I don't know how many. If you guys saw that one,
1: I did not. I, I wanted to, I but no, I never sorry. got around to it.
0: Yeah, I didn't either. But um, it's it's supposed to be good, but I just I wonder like how much it's actually up for you know contention for some of these things. And you had ten pictures nominated for best picture.
1: I, I think was about I, to ask about that. That seems like a lot.
0: It is a lot. I mean, usually like they just like stop at five. And it, the first time I saw that, I, the first thing I thought of was. I'm not looking forward to, you know, when these movies come out on DVD and it's like, everyone's just going to be like, Oscar nominated for Best Picture! And that's going to be like all in their commercials or on their box art or something like that. Well, um, but
1: are there any on there that you don't think deserved it?
0: That's a good question. I should probably bring up a list. I think all of them deserved it in one way or another, but I think there's a, a certain point where you just got to make some cuts. Like, um, to I mean, there's always
2: Oscar snubs. I, I'm, I, I'm kind of... Con- like curious about what decision making went into picking 10 movies for best picture as opposed to like the normal 5 right like why was the category expanded was it just because there were so many good movies this year that they wanted to put them all in there or was it because they were you know like some commercial reason
1: yeah I well, bet part of it is there is a correlation between the ratings for an academy award and whether there are movies that people have heard about nominated for Best Picture. Like when uh, Return is... of the King was nominated... Holy
0: smokes, sorry. I was trying to look up <laughs> Oscar information and they played a video automatically. My bad. Oh,
1: I love it when that happens. <laughs> but like when uh, Return of the King was nominated, the ratings were huge because people wanted to see that movie win. Same thing with Titanic, I think.
0: Yeah, uh, that's true. Um, so we'll have to see. Uh, I think the for the brief glimpse that I caught on that website, of uh, the... Event is in eight days, so that'd be a week from this Sunday. Sounds about right. Um, So yeah, we'll we'll see when the Oscar uh, Awards go down, Academy Awards go down. Final question from Shock Hog. Who do you believe to be the most evil villain ever? And it can be from a movie, game, TV show, book, whatever. I'm going to start, and just like my gut reaction, I love Aladdin. Aladdin, I think, is the best <laughs> Disney movie. So I'm going to say Jafar. Because yeah, Jafar, I think Aladdin's evil too. <laughs> Aladdin, that kid, you know, with that carpet. hes It's carpet torture, I, I say. Uh, but no, Jafar is he's just so diabolical. And, like, his voice gives you the chills. So as much as, you know, I, I had a, I was with a guest on a podcast yesterday. And they were talking about, like, who's your favorite, you know, villain from, like, a, a video game series. And I think, like, favorite villain and most evil villain is like a big distinction. like
1: Very different things. Yeah, and
0: I'm I'm fascinated by the character of Ocelot in Metal Gear. Here we go! Again with Metal Gear, but I'm what fascinated. What a surprise. I know. <laughs> 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 I'm fascinated by the character of Ocelot, but like, when it comes to evil, like, Jafar still kind of gives me the creeps.
1: Hmm. Scav, you're up next. Man, I wanted to kill Kefka. <sighs> I hated that son of a... Hmm. From wait, from what? What? Uh. Kafka. Final Fantasy VI.
0: Oh, so I don't really play Final and Fantasy. And he's always
1: uh, he's also always way up there and just biggest jerks in video games. <laughs> I mean, I believe oh, it's been a while since I played it, but like poisoning an entire well and killing a whole town—it's kind of a jerk thing to do.
0: I guess it's you know a better choice than like the knee-jerk, you know, Final Fantasy reaction of like Sephiroth because he killed Aerith. <laughs>
1: Wait, Earth dies? Gas. Oh, spoilers. Oh no. Uh, mm. And then uh, I, I struggled with this question a lot too, just it also whenever I start thinking about that, I fall down the rabbit hole of talking about the D and D alignments and what how I would define who the most evil character is versus mm. just a really interesting bad guy. The answer that always immediately comes to mind for me with this question is the Joker because yeah. this is just the classic portrayal of the D&D chaotic evil of just killing people because it's fun
2: yeah I like for me the first person that comes to mind is the Joker for that same reason it's like he is pure chaotic evil there's no like uh there's, there's nothing redeeming about him really there's nothing he is just pure like I'm going to cause destruction and chaos um, so, you know, he ranks up there, but at the same time, like, I, I'd never think that he is particularly malicious and I feel like a truly like wicked evil person has to have that malicious intent behind it. Maybe, um, Peter, like at, at your response, like with Jafar, mm-hmm. I've got to say, as far as Disney movie goes, Scar is probably much more oh, evil in my book. Yeah, He killed his own brother so he could take the throne.
0: This is true, and, and he's got uh, the he has the best song ever of Be Prepared.
2: Yeah, and the thing is like like what other what other villain in the Disney World was like did they let get away with stuff like that? It's true. Like Jafar like turned you into a toy or shots you to the North Pole or something. Scar like killed you. <laughs> or had the, the hyenas come kill you too.
0: But at the same time, he also had his you know just retribution at the end, where, as Jafar was just like put into a lamp as a genie to be brought back in a crappy sequel.
2: It's like three crappy sequels, I think, <laughs> straight to DVD, right?
1: Yeah. And I, and I bought them all.
0: It was VHS at that point, though. So. <laughs> uh,
1: now, for preparing for this, I pulled up the list of AFI's 100 Heroes and 100 Villains. Oh, interesting! What's the some of the top ones there? Uh well here who who do you think would be number one? Bear in mind that this was a, written a little while ago, oh so gosh. like the joker isn't on there, but it tell you what if you name somebody in the top five, which should be pretty easy if you just think of archetypal public consciousness evil Darth Vader yeah, number three yeah, Number three okay,
0: that's a pretty standard one um is would Luke Skywalker be a matching hero then, or
1: oh, where is, I'm sure Luke Skywalker's on there somewhere. Indiana Jones is number two for heroes. Oh, that's bad. (laughs) But uh, number one is Hannibal Lecter. Okay. Followed by Norman Bates, Darth Vader, the Wicked Witch of the West. Uh, Number five I thought was interesting, Nurse Ratched from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, interesting. And I gotta say, I kind of agree with that. She's kind of a terrible human being. (laughs) And then uh, Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. Alex Forrest from Fatal Attraction. Glenn Close. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Phyllis Dietrichson from Double Indemnity. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. Yeah. Uh, Regan McNeil from The Exorcist and the Queen from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs rounds out the top ten. Wow.
0: Definitely That's a decent list.
1: There. Yeah, I don't disagree. The aliens on there. Hal is on there. <laughs> the shark from Jaws. The shark. <laughs> number twenty is probably my favorite. It's just Man from Bambi. Mm. Yeah, The Hunter. Wow. And I, I thought of another one. Did you guys ever play the game The Seventh Guest? This I have This like early 90s. Yeah. I loved that game when I was little, and it terrified me. But the main villain of that game, Stoff, is... You don't get a lot more evil than stealing the souls of children and putting them in dolls. <sighs> That's kind of creepy. I don't know what you guys do with your free time, but I'm against that.
0: Is like stuff supposed to be like a rearrangeal of Faust or?
1: Yes. Uh huh.
0: Clever, clever game. Clever, clever.
1: Brilliant. So I think that no, wait, about. Did, did, did you answer one, Peter? Was that? That's right. And you said Jafar. I did
0: say Jafar. I went first. I was nice and spared you guys. <laughs> um, but no, like Darth Vader is a good choice. That's that's one that definitely easily comes to mind. Because, but Darth Vader like has his moments though, where like you know, especially at the end, where like he tries to, you know, make himself a better person and all that. To, I'm mean, the words blanking on me, but
2: redemption. The the emperor go. might be a really good answer for the most evil ever, because he mm. was just pure corruption, pure
0: dag nasty
2: evil. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Hmm.
0: So yeah, I think that's going to about do it for Show Me Your News. Uh, Thank you so much Jason m 3D for however they want to name you in future podcast lores and Scav. It was wonderful to have you on the show. Um, Go Google stuff on the airship. Also at smashboards.com they got a big thread that we've pulled together with all the information you'll ever want to know. And It was wonderful having you guys on the show. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us on. And We'll be sure to have an announcement when the website is live and all that fantastic stuff.
0: Absolutely. You'll be hearing more about the airship from Show Me Your News in the future as we are partners, as it were. With that, I am Yoko.
2: Oh, that's our cue, isn't that it? That is your I'm Q. Scav. <laughs> and I'm Jason, a.k.a. M3D.
0: And we are out. Thank you for listening. <laughs>